Um, tonight I'd like to talk about the four Brahmaviharas. They are love and kindness, or metta, compassion, karuna, sympathetic joy, mudita, and equanimity, upekha. And even though we are mainly practicing insight meditation here, and perhaps some metta meditation different times of the day or every so often, I feel that awareness and development of these qualities is a very important part of our dharma practice in many ways. So these four factors or qualities of heart and mind are called Brahma-viharas because the Brahma, the highest God in existence, abides in these states or realms. Vihara means abode or dwelling. Brahma-vihara is also translated as sublime state. And these four states are also called apamanya, which means unlimited, boundless, because they include the unlimited number of living beings. They include all of the living beings without exception. The first of the Brahma-viharas is metta, or kindness, or love. This kindness or metta is one of the most important and I think most powerful qualities in practice. St. Paul, I think in all spiritual practices. St. Paul expresses this very convincingly. If I were to speak the languages of all humans and even knew the language of the angels but would have no love, I would be nothing nothing more than a roaring gong, nothing but a noisy kettle drum. If I had the divine inspiration and knew all of God's secrets and had the faith that can move mountains, but would be without love, it would all be worthless. And if I'd give away all my possessions and would take upon me death by fire, but would have no love, it would all be in vain. Love or kindness or metta is defined as a gentleness of the heart. And the roots of the word are met, which means gentle or soft. And the Sanskrit word maitri means friend. It's a gentle friendliness or kindness. These four Brahmaviharas are the opposing qualities of certain unwholesome mind states or unwholesome emotions or pleasures. And we could perhaps say, when, whenever these positive Brahmaviharas are present in our heart and mind the corresponding difficult negative emotions are absent. 
with metta, this opposing difficult or negative emotion or klesha is hatred and all the forms of aversion and dislike, including anger and annoyance and vengeance and spite and jealousy and resistance and fear and boredom and all the rest. So there's the opposite or opposing negative mind state or what is called sometimes the far enemy of that uh, quality like metta. There's also the so-called near enemy or perhaps we could say the false manifestation, something that looks like the real thing but isn't really. With metta, this is personal love that's mixed with attachment, mixed with desire and passion. Love that wants or needs something in return. It's actually quite easy to discern these qualities. Metta, when it's genuine, is never painful. It never creates suffering in oneself. No matter what a person does or doesn't do, whether they're friendly or unfriendly towards us, whether they're near or far, whether they're together or separate, whether they are of similar opinion or of different opposite opinion, Metta does not depend on conditions. Metta does not ask to fulfill certain conditions or any conditions. And that is quite different from a desire or attachment or passion. I think it's quite clear they do create suffering. In fact, um, I think passion, passion, is the Latin word for suffering. The desire, attachment, passion, they do create suffering as soon as that other person, that other being, doesn't do what I want, what I hope to get, or what I need. In terms of discerning metta and attachment and passion, I think it's good to be clear that it's not a matter of judgment. You know, it's not whether one is good and the other one is bad. But it's really a difference in their effect. Love in the form of desire, attachment, or passion creates suffering whenever conditions are not right. While love in the sense of metta creates openness, inner balance, and joy. Kindness or metta can be compared to cool water that is poured into a burning hot vessel containing a boiling liquid. Similarly to that cool water, metta cools and appeases the burning and tormenting emotions of hatred and aversion in the heart and the mind. And of course, it often has also a similar effect on our surrounding and on the people around us. The Dhammapada has put a famous saying, hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred ceases by 
life alone. And that's true within ourselves and also in the world. And it's very interesting to see that in meditation. When there are difficult emotions, when there's aversion, we can't stand something that's happening, we're irritated by an experience that we're having, um, there's real resistance, we want to get rid of things. What really makes a difference is when we can be present with those mind states, with an awareness that has the quality of metta, that says, okay, you know, I'm just willing to be with that. I'm just willing to be with those difficulties in a very accepting, very allowing way, instead of developing strategies to get rid of it. And that willingness to be with, that has a power create the space so things can work themselves out, that has the power to heal, that has the power to transform. So we practice here over and over, meeting even the difficult, angry, fearful emotions with that kind of attitude of spacious kindness, you could say. Also, metta is not primarily a nice feeling. You know, there's sometimes this nice, warm feeling of love in the heart. And it can be that more or less often. But it not always has to be that. Imagine, you know, there's a kind of a, an abyss and a little kid is walking towards it and running towards it and we see it and we really care for it um, we jump and we go right there and keep it from falling down and that does not that that is really kindness and care and that does not depend on first having this nice warm feeling you know it's a really wonderful child I think you know I really save it um, that can be metta, but it does not need to be that way. And I think it is very essential in when we want to develop metta to be clear about this. I often um, see people coming and they say, I tried the metta, it doesn't work. And then upon asking, what do you mean it doesn't work? It often seems that what doesn't work is that they did it for, you know, whatever, 15 minutes or, or some hours or something, and then that nice feeling didn't come, or it came for three minutes. You know, the one thing that we think it should feel like, it came for five minutes, ten minutes, and then somehow, as often these feelings do, you know, they sort of fizzle out and they're not there, or maybe we have, you know, that true wish of, of well-being for ourselves or others and sadness comes up. Or we start to feel very lonely. So metta doesn't work. Or, you know, they're using these weird words and it's really kind of funny. It reminds me of Sunday school or something and it gets us irritated because of the associations we have. And again, irritation comes up instead of metta. So metta doesn't work. 
I think it's, it can be really helpful if we understand that what we're developing is an inner attitude. It's even almost like a decision to meet things or beings in a certain way with simply acknowledging and appreciating and accepting what is as it is whether it's beings or things or situations so metta is really that just opening to beings as they are to things as they are to experiences as they arise it's that attitude Erich Fried wrote about love what it is it's nonsense says reason it is what it is says love it's misfortune says selfishness it's nothing but pain says fear it's hopeless says despair it is what it is says love it's ridiculous says pride it's reckless says caution it's impossible says experience it is what it is, says love. The metta is unconditional acceptance, respect and appreciation of things and beings as they are, that is, of life as it is. Metta also is the wish that beings may be happy and well. So the phrases used in meditation are phrases like may all beings be happy and peaceful, may all beings be healthy and well, may all beings live in safety, may all beings live with ease. And you can make up your own sentences, pick the ones that resonate. And as we have done already in the Metta meditation traditionally, one starts with oneself may I be happy and peaceful and again that is very important and we need to really do this really do start with ourselves it's almost sometimes we think it's a contradiction if it's real kindness and love we have to have it for others to do it for oneself is incredibly healing and if you do a lot of it maybe that can't be felt so easily if we do 10 minutes 15 minutes here and there um last fall i did six weeks of uh, metta a retreat of just doing metta and just as we try to be mindful from morning waking up to evening falling asleep what you do is the moment you wake up, you, re- you start reciting the phrases. And it's quite strange, actually. You do it through everything. And if you start doing it, uh, uh, happened to myself, awareness would sometimes come into my way. You know, I do something and I'm aware of what I do. And that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do the sentences. So you come back from trying to be aware of what you're doing to just repeating the sentences the food gets a little less tasty because you're eating your stuff and you say maybe happy and peaceful maybe healthy and well um, what 
became very clear after the first few days of doing it just for myself and then only starting to expand is how deep it can touch within oneself and how incredibly healing it becomes when we really do it and when we continue doing it and it seems also quite clear then that if we can't find real kindness and appreciation for ourselves, Allah for, the, for others can't be really genuine. It can possibly be well meant, but not really genuine. Because unless we feel connected with life where it's the closest to us, you know, life which we are ourselves, it's not quite, it doesn't quite connect with life around us. We start with ourselves, and next we choose someone who has been very helpful for us. We feel trust and find that love and appreciation comes easily. A benefactor for somebody, it could be parents, or it could be a teacher, or it could be a child. It could be anybody that we feel that somehow they've touched us, we've learned from them, they've benefited in an in a important way. And we visualize that person, and again we repeat the sentences. And these three points are important to repeat the phrases, and I think I already mentioned it, and I'll say it again. It's quite helpful to repeat them rhythmically, constantly. When we do it up front as a guided meditation, we want to leave some space for you to do it, but the idea is not that you do it every three, four minutes, you say the sentences, but the idea is actually to do the sentences. And that's where, where we stay with, and that's also that which keeps us in the present then. It's almost like in mindfulness practice, you try to really be in touch with the object. Here's to be really in touch with the actual phrases that keep on going. Um, second point is, as we say that, then more or less we remember what we're saying. It's helpful. We don't need to do more than that. Sometimes I think now we really have to feel it, you know, and sort of get it, you know, squeeze the feeling out with it. And that's exactly what's too much. It's just we need to know what we're saying. And when we say that, we probably mean it. And <clears throat> to visualize the person or to connect in some other ways. For some people, vis visualizing people isn't very, uh, doesn't come very easily. So you could maybe remember how it feels, you know, the feel of that person or, or whatever connects you with that person. And this we do as often and as continually as possible. And that's all more isn't necessary. And sometimes pleasant feelings do arise, and sometimes not at all. That doesn't matter. It's not to look, you know, to do it for five minutes or ten minutes or an hour and look for results. Imagine how it should feel. It's to just do it. And at times even resistance might come up, or aversion, or sadness, or loneliness, or whatever. That's okay. We meet them in that same attitude of kindness. And we simply go on 
quite gently and continually. And once we find that we can do it reasonably well with the benefactor, we can go on to a friend. <coughs> Somebody with whom metta still comes easy, but perhaps not that easy. Um, people we have attachment or desire for are not really so suitable. I think it's also good to remember because we can easily get off into something else than metta. Then we can try with the person that we feel indifferent to it. That can be somewhat more difficult. Um, in that retreat, when I did it, I looked around and there were a few people doing the walking where I did it. And there was one person I felt this is, I never seen him, I know, don't know his name. Uh, it's like, it felt like a person that's just there. So I chose him. I never looked at him really or spoke to him. I only seen him standing against the wall like that, you know, <laughs> when turning and walking the other way. So uh, it was almost like for a while the, the concentration was dropping again and then only after two, three days picking up again. But I know for others, they find it easier just because they don't know who they are. They feel that you know, being with sending metta to a, a person we don't know and we're indifferent to is easier. However it is, that's the next step one can do. And then eventually choose a person that we find difficult, someone we find irritating or someone we dislike. And the same thing, just whatever comes up is fine. We don't have to have any program on how that should work, we just do it. What I found interesting in doing that <coughs> is not so much that suddenly this incredible laugh started to flow. It was more like after two, three weeks, I felt that, you know, the people that one keeps on meeting, walking more or less in the same space and, you know, having the same kind of habits in a retreat, so you often meet the same people. And it was like, I didn't know any of them, but it was like, you know, there's this real nice guy and there's this strange person, you know, and there's the one I think is really, you know. I mean, not, it's just different feelings one has to, you know, different people. There's that person who always does everything wrong. And uh, as I kept on doing the metta, it wasn't that suddenly, you know, I started to think totally different about them. But it was more like I started to feel, oh, you know, here's the nice person, and here's the weird person, you know, here's my weird person, and there's my kind of difficult person, you know, that I think is really off. And it wasn't that, you know, I was sort of making things different. It was more like the perception, something in the, in the quality almost of the perception shifted. And I realized coming into the hall, I would only go there for talks, and I've been there for three years, I know how that hall feels to me. And it was like within two weeks, the hall started to feel completely different. And everybody in there somehow were, were dear to me, in a, in a way that didn't have to do with me doing something or trying to change something, but just repeating the phrases throughout the day. At the end, we expand our sense of love and kindness to include all living beings without exception. As it is said in the Metta Sutta, the, the 
discourse on kindness. Whether they are weak or strong, long, middling or short, tiny or huge, visible or invisible, nearby or far away, born or unborn, may all beings without exception be happy and well. The second Brahma-vihara is compassion. Compassion, or karuna, is the wish that all beings may be free from suffering and pain. <coughs> so the phrase that is used in the compassion or karuna meditation is, may you be free from suffering and pain. Sometimes when we do the metta news, as the second or third phrase may be free from suffering and pain, that's really correctly speaking, that is a, a, a I mean technically speaking, that is really a sentence of, of uh, compassion. Compassion really is the same attitude as the one of metta, but the focus is on the suffering of beings rather than wishing for their happiness and well-being. So technically speaking, the difference is the object of meditation which is suffering instead of happiness, but the attitude is really the same. Karuna, or compassion, is defined as the quivering of the heart when it is in touch with the suffering of beings. Compassion almost can't stand the suffering of others and does whatever is possible and necessary to help. Rio Khan says, Oh, that my priest's robe were wide enough to gather up all suffering people in this floating world. And Shantideva wrote, as I read a few days ago, and i just like to read it again, May I be the doctor and the medicine and may I be the nurse for all sick beings in the world until everyone is healed. May I become an inexhaustible treasure for those who are poor and destitute. May I turn into all things they could need and may this be placed close beside them. The far enemy of compassion is violence, cruelty, hurtful, destructive aggression or also called himsa, as opposed to ahimsa, or non-violence. The near enemy, or perhaps the false manifestation of karuna, is the kind of pity that is really self-pity. Poor beings and poor me, you know, we're all really so sorry. And or pity out of guilt. You know, I sort of feel bad if I don't do something, so I'll send those uh, 20 pounds or something, so I feel better again. Which is still good to do things that way, but uh, <coughs> it's not quite genuine <coughs> karuna. Or the kind of pity that looks down on this poor suffering being, but is separate, is distant, is distant, is really somehow closed off to the suffering or even averse to the suffering. Compassion is the natural response of the heart when it is open, when it is in touch with the suffering, be it our own or that of others. And often we don't want to feel 
the suffering and we do react with aversion and then we're closed and we still might try to be compassionate but to just see that difference it's not that it's wrong or it should never happen or something but just to become aware how that is being open to to pain to suffering and compassion coming as a response to that or being closed and sort of having making ourselves to feel compassionate it it means that we need to be willing we need to dare to open to our own suffering and our own pain that is really the door to the doorway to genuine compassion the great Indian master Atisha said those who seriously wish to dispel or to heal the suffering of others are excellent people they have understood suffering within their own being it's really that which moves us the third Brahmavihara is sympathetic joy or mudita it is a joyful appreciation of other beings happiness well-being well-being and prosperity and the phrase that's used in the mudita meditation is may your happiness and good fortune never leave you may your happiness and good fortune never leave you the far enemy of sympathetic joy is jealousy also envy and competitiveness Rumi asks inside the great mystery that is we don't really own anything what is this competition we feel then before we go one at a time through the same gate Murita is diametrically opposed to this unwholesome state of the mind and the heart of jealousy and competitiveness. Now the near enemy or the false manifestation of sympathetic joy, I must say I find that not very obvious and especially I'm not sure of a, of a name for it and I've been looking at dictionaries both Pali and English and German it's a kind of giddiness or exhilaration that outwardly makes compliments and says nice things for others but isn't really so much in touch with that doesn't genuinely mean them maybe also somehow connected to flattery something in that direction what can make it difficult ourselves in terms of sympathetic joy is often our considerable lack of self-respect respect for ourselves and appreciation for our being and for our many positive qualities that we do have that we all do have because we spend so much time judging evaluating and condemning ourselves and also because somehow it seems that as Westerners we have that heritage of somehow feeling guilty even for just being of not really being able to allow ourselves to be okay the way we are and, and of appreciating ourselves for 
being this very life, being part of life. We're probably the only aspect or manifestation of life who over and over again needs to convince itself that it's worthy of respect and worthy of love. And therefore it's really especially important to do metta for oneself and also to do mudita for oneself in the sense of rejoicing in our many good qualities and really thinking of them. And then maybe the mind says, yeah, but that's nothing. You know, I'm generous. Okay, I'm sometimes generous. Every, you know, once in a year I'm a little bit generous. And to not allow, you know, the mind to sort of make the qualities into almost nothing. To see, can we appreciate just being in this retreat, the fact that we have come here, it's so amazing. The fact that we're willing to sit down day by day, hour by hour, and look at ourselves, look into our minds, into our bodies, into our hearts, to learn, to understand, to hear with patience, with endurance, with great perseverance, interest. It's quite amazing. It's so much care. But we think, oh, I'm not doing so well. Oh, it's going okay. Yeah. yeah, maybe next sitting. I mean, it's amazing what we're doing here to remember that and to see if we can really find an appreciation for that. Not to be proud about it, but to, to treasure it. At least we should be ready to subscribe to Ashley Brilliant's statement. I may not be perfect, but parts of me are excellent. <laughs> this sympathetic joy or mudita is not simply sympathy, but a caring, appreciative joy. And its main characteristic is happy acquiescence or appreciation of the good fortune, the success possessions and the well-being and the good qualities of beings. It's a congratulatory attitude, the expression of congratulation in a way. <coughs> Murita, just like metta, comes out of the recognition and the experience of the interrelatedness and connectedness of all life. The natural and spontaneous manifestation of this insight, of this experience. And yet, sympathetic joy can also be practiced when we practice it as a formal meditation. To begin with, it might be easier to choose people we respect and appreciate a lot, whoever that might be for you. Maybe like for some, the Dalai Lama might be, or for some mother Teresa of Calcutta might be, or our personal benefactor. Rejoice in their happiness and good fortune, their well-being, and in their great qualities, such as their wisdom, their kindness, their deep connectedness. Then we can rejoice in the happiness, the well-being, and the good qualities of people we love and care for, our children, our parents, our partners, our friends. It's interesting with difficult people, or, sorry, people we find difficult. 
here the question is am I willing to rejoice really in their happiness and good fortune am I willing to acknowledge even that they have good qualities am I willing to do that even in the case of my rivals or opponents or enemies and yet to just do it or if we use that sentence to just use it and see where it's going in a long retreat I uh, decided to reflect to think about not to do the formal meditation but think about mudita and contemplate on it but it didn't come all too easily so I decided to simply write down whatever crossed my mind in those terms here's just a part of it which is really a mixture of metta and mudita which I will read I rejoice in the fact that I'm doing this retreat I rejoice in those moments when the heart opens with great compassion for the suffering beings I rejoice in those moments at dawn and at dusk standing at the front gate blessing the land and all beings chanting the great mantra I rejoice in the boundless compassion of the awakened ones the Buddhas I am grateful that Dechen Chirling that's the retreat house I was in has been built and is at people's disposition. I'm grateful for the Lama Kensi Rinpoche's protection and blessing over the place and over all those who practice here. I rejoice in Clark and Lotus, that's the owners, having built the house and in the perfection and beauty they put into building the houses. I rejoice in my efforts and interests in looking into the mind's nature over and over again I rejoice in those moments of openness of clarity and insight I rejoice in those moments of renunciation and deep revulsion towards samsara I rejoice in sharing all the merits and positive qualities and energies that got touched and awakened sharing with all my teachers with my parents with my wife sharing with Clark and Lottie and the kids the people who built the house and would bring the food with my friends who followed a long list of names with all those who ever attended a talk, a retreat or a workshop with me with all human beings and with all the animals here on this land plenty of animals out there the spiders, the flies, the moths the centipedes, the rainworms the deer, the wild turkeys, the woodchucks, the owls, the buzzards, the falcons and the herons, and the Canadian wild geese on their way south, the garden snake and the beaver down at the pond, the lonesome cat, the dog, the cows and bulls, and all the beings unseen, and especially the little guys inside the firewood that got burned in the stoves to keep me warm. I share with the earth, the grass, the trees and the stars and I rejoice in their being and their being here with me. Sympathetic joy can become one of the most positive and beautiful aspects of our practice. And also add delight and light and color to our being, to our existence, to our practice.
Kabir sings, Have you heard the music that no fingers enter into? Far inside the house. Entangled music. What is the sense of leaving your house? Suppose you scrub your ethical skin until it shines, but inside there is no music. Then what? Muhammad's son pours over words and points out this and that. But if his chest is not soaked dark with love, then what? The yogi comes along in her famous orange, but if inside she is colorless, then what? There's kindness, there's compassion, there's sympathetic joy. The fourth of the Brahma Viharas is equanimity, upekā. It means to see and meet impartially and unbiased, without attachment or aversion, each and every being just as they are. Equanimity means resting with balance and serenity among the demands, difficulties and puzzles of life such as, for example, the eight winds of the world, success and failure, gain and loss, good reputation, bad name, praise, blame, all the many other winds of existence. Equanimity means relating with balance and serenity to the beings we care for, beings we're indifferent to, and beings we find unpleasant. And as a Brahma-vihara, it mainly refers to equanimity with respect to the different beings. Now the phrase that is used in the formal meditation is all beings are the heirs of their karma, meaning they inherit the effects of their own actions. Or there's another sentence one can use, your well-being depends on your own deeds, not on my good wishes for you. Very interesting. There's a whole shift. Now here the good wishes of Metta and Karuna and Mudita are placed into perspective. And the lawfulness of cause and effect of being's own actions is being called up. Remembered. So it's like our going out to beings and in the equanimity or upeka meditation. It's also making clear that we wish to do the best we can, and yet what happens to beings, what happens to us, depends on our own actions, the intentions and the motivations behind our actions and what it is that they practice all our life long. Yet, this equanimity or upeka is not at all indifference or some kind of thick-skinnedness. It's rather a sensitive inner spaciousness. <coughs> the Lama Duchom Rinpoche gave the following illustration. He said, we will be like the vast open sky 
not particularly flattered by the rainbow and not particularly upset by the rain clouds and storms. Now perhaps here one might think that with this attitude there is an equal distance towards all beings and all things. But the exact opposite is true. One is equally close to all beings and all things. Last year my wife Ursula sat in retreat for almost five months and two of them she spent practicing the four Brahma Vihara and uh, I asked her, I never did a long um, retreat on Upeka, so I asked her to describe how that is and she described the relationship of the three of Metta, Karuna and Mudita to equanimity or Upeka. She said, it's like the three Kindness, compassion, and sympathetic joy rest within equanimity. Equanimity is a state of rest, but also a state of readiness. Depending on what comes on from the outside, depending on what we need, depending on the condition, the heart responds with love to its beings, or compassion when it needs suffering or sympathetic joy when there is good fortune that is met and then again it retreats it comes back to rest in equanimity so we do what we can for the world for people in any situation we do our best but we don't depend on the result we're not upset or overexcited by the outcome because we also know that things follow their own laws. Things follow the laws of people's individual karma, which is a universal law, and so we can rest. The four Brahma Viharas can be cultivated infinitely wide and deep. Also, into deep jhanic absorptions. They can be cultivated in what in a way that pervades and shines through. Maybe to end a, a quite uh, essential point. These four qualities which we develop, which we look for, connect with, contact, they're really the primordial, fundamental, natural qualities of our own heart, of our own mind, of our own being. It's because of that fact that we practice. It is really that what brings us here to do. It is that which causes us to move towards the light. It's because of that that we move towards inner freedom. We often have this or that thought why we're doing this, but often we don't really know what it is. There's just something that makes us do it. And we end up in a retreat place and we end up sitting here and we think, what on earth has got me here, you know? I'm doing it again. Something to do with that basic inner goodness, with 
ourselves somehow somewhere knowing this has much more to do with who we really are than a lot of the manifestations about us that we might not so like. If we were not, if these qualities were not, not our own nature, we could never possibly invent them. We could never possibly make them up and then practice them. It's unthinkable. They really have always been ours, and they are our true nature. And in this, we can trust.